The work of this church in the world is realized through the generous financial support of all who call this place home. Along with the gifts and time and talent, ours is a shared ministry. You have a role to play here. Church membership is open to all. For more information, go to uusf.org.
Good morning, everyone, and welcome. My name is Meg McGuire, and I have the pleasure of serving as the ministerial intern here at the First Unitarian Universalist Society of San Francisco. I'm so glad that all of you are here. Welcome. As you settle into this morning's worship from your couch or kitchen table, I'd encourage you to take a moment and download our order of service. You can find it in the description of this video, it'll be posted in the chat, and it's emailed each Friday to everyone who receives our newsletter. So if you don't already get our newsletter, you can sign up and receive the order of service each week going forward. In that order of service, you'll find an outline of today's worship, and you'll also see an impressively long list of the many people who are essential in bringing together our live stream worship. And I think it matters that we pause in this way each week to name just for a moment aloud those whose labors and love make worship possible. So I want to start with the team who manage all things tech, starting with Jonathan Silk, our AV and sound expert, and so much more. Uh, Shuli Ong and Eric Shackelford, who are working our mini cameras. Joe Chapeau, who's monitoring our chat. So if you need anything or have any questions, Joe will be there to answer them. And I want to thank Alex Starr and Les James, who will be hosting our virtual coffee hour right after the service. Thank you also to those who prepare and beautify our space, our sexton, Thomas Brown. And a special thank you this morning to Athena Papadakis, a new member of the Flower Committee, who has prepared our beautiful flowers this morning for the very first time. Also to our musicians, we just heard from cellist Andres Vera and Mihua Steger on piano, who is now moved. Um, Bill Garcia-Gans also on piano. Um, and Ben Rudiak Gould will be leading us through our hymns. And I want to thank, as always, Mark Sumner, who's curating and coordinating behind the scenes, brought all of that together. I'm joined here this morning by worship associate Richard Davis Lowell, and of course, senior minister, Reverend Vanessa Rush Southern, who will be leading us in worship. And I want to take a moment in gratitude for all of you who while you are not here in body are essential, nevertheless in knitting together the fabric of this community of which worship is one expression. And so as we have each Sunday since March, we begin by lighting our blue candle, bringing in some way your presence and spirit into this room until we can be together again. We gather this morning on the cusp of two consequential weeks, having entered yesterday into the season of Pesach, or Passover, and entering today into the Holy Week in the Christian traditions. Both of these invite us into deeper engagement with essential stories inviting us not only to tell these stories, but to live for a time alongside them, that we might more deeply understand their meaning, that we might feel or honor even the moments of great loss and suffering, the realities of oppression, 
even as we move to celebrate, to rejoice in the sweetness of liberation, the power of hope rising anew. And so in that spirit, I want to invite you to be here today in whatever way you find yourself, making space for whatever part of the Passover story, whatever part of Holy Week that you find yourself in. May we enter into worship together now, singing our first hymn, Wade in the Water, a song that evokes the Exodus story, the story of Passover, and one with a potent and specific history, a freedom song, and one with a deeply practical meaning sung by enslaved Africans, sharing concrete instructions for the journey out, journey out of slavery and to freedom. So I invite you to join me in singing, holding with reverence those levels of meaning. Hymn number 210, Wade in the Water. lighting using the words printed in your order of service. We light this chalice for the light of truth, for the warmth of love, and the fire of commitment. We light this symbol of our faith as we gather together. Good morning, everybody. It's so great to be together. We actually have I don't know, more people in the sanctuary today than usual. So it feels super exciting. I have some lots of human beloved people here. And, and I know from all of you that you, many of you are getting out in the world. And so I hope you're feeling fuller and fuller of life. 
even as the reality of what we've just been through starts to seep in more deeply, I think, also. Whether you are a newcomer or a longtime member, I hope you'll join us for the Zoom coffee hour. We gather in every week right after worship. You can find the link. These days, you will find additional opportunities to connect with members and friends of the community in smaller groups and breakout rooms. There are two special ones that are being led recently, one by Donald Matusin to discuss the sermon. So if you want to gather with a group of people to talk about what came up for you and learn from one another, please just ask the host when you check in to put you in that breakout room. And also a second, led by Judith Stoddard and Gianti Chapeau, who are going to be talking about the eighth principle. Unitarian Universalism has committed over recent history to seven guiding foundational principles that we all agree to. And there is a movement afoot to add an eighth. I'd invite you to go and read about it if you haven't already and to join the Zoom and ask questions and listen to those of others because we are going to be voting as a congregation on our assent to this addition into our sacred documents of agreement and binding values. So I hope you'll consider joining Coffee Hour today. If you don't join either of those groups, you'll be put in a breakout room just with other folks to meet and chat. You can find everything you need in the order of service, including not just about the Zoom coffee hour, but about some of the upcoming events. If you have signed our newcomer form, our connection form, you'll get the newsletter, which will be coming out at the end of this month. But in addition, you can find stuff that's coming up even this afternoon, opportunities for deepening, for conversations that are challenging, for spiritual practices that can ground you through the week, Please look for all of those and join in any and all that are of interest to you, the humanist non-theist group, today at one in particular. And put on your calendar too, if you would, April 11th at 1 p.m. Hold that date for our eighth principle town hall. I want to take a moment now to invite two people who are here with us this morning. Gail Reynolds and Keith Holland, who have chaired this year's annual giving campaign during this pandemic year. And they're going to tell you more about how we've done this month, month, which is extraordinary. So I'd invite you to listen to how we have done and with gratitude from all of us for those who have already sent in their pledges, gotten us this far on the road. Good morning, everyone. I'm Gail Reynolds. And I am Keith Holland. We have been honored to be the co-chairs of this year's annual operating fund campaign. As I hope you are aware, the month of March has been the official period of the annual operating fund campaign, a, a pledge drive, if you will, for our church community, not unlike the pledge drives that our local PBS station KQED stages several times a year. Our good news is that we don't have fundraising campaigns several times a year. We don't need to. Our community gives generously to fund the needs of UUSF during this single campaign. And this has been especially true this year. <clears throat> As of this morning, our campaign pledge total stands at $678,652. That represents 152 pledges from members, friends, and visitors. 
We are grateful to all of you for your amazing generosity. However, it is not all good news. There are nearly 100 members who have not yet pledged. If you are among those 100, it would be really great if you could pledge before March 31st. In fact, you can make your pledge right now. Just use the pledge button in the digital order of service. If everyone who hasn't yet pledged makes a pledge, we could reach our campaign goal of $900,000. As with any project of this magnitude, there are many people involved. In addition to our personal efforts, members of the Stewardship Committee and the Board of Trustees have reached out to many of you, as did John Burens and Vanessa. Joe Chapeau managed the myriad administrative details of this campaign and kept us informed about the pledges throughout the month. And Jonathan Silk managed the communications you have seen in the monthly newsletter, the Weekly Flame and the Order of Service, as well as our experimental virtual donor wall we wish, to, we wish to say thank you to all of these for your support and help. Though the campaign ends its public phase on March 31st, our work will not be done. During April, we will follow up with members who have not yet pledged. KQED gives gifts to incentivize people to pledge, especially when they get near the end of their pledge drive. We have the best incentive of all. Your pledge to UUSF supports the health and well-being of our beloved community. So we say it to you one more time, make your pledge. <laughs> Please make your pledge. <laughs> and for the final time, enjoy seeing your friends on our virtual donor wall. And now join us as we center ourselves, bringing ourselves more deeply into worship with the words in our bulletin, our meditation on breathing. When I breathe in, I'll breathe in peace. When I breathe out, I'll breathe out love. When I breathe in, I'll breathe in peace. When I breathe out, when I breathe out Please join me in the promises we make to one another, represented by the words of our covenant found in your order of service, followed by our sung doxology. 
Love is the spirit of this church and service is its prayer. This is our great covenant, to dwell together in peace, to seek the truth in freedom, and to help one another. Recognizing that there is human suffering all over this world in the course of natural and human catastrophes, we ring our gong today in honor of three such places of suffering and struggle. As we have since July of 2019, we ring our gong first for the lives held and lost in federal custody in our detention camps. We ring our gong for the more than 500 children now permanently separated from their families, for all people held without charges, without transparency, without some of the most basic human rights, for all who bear the brunt of this repeat of the most shameful chapters in our nation and our world's history of xenophobia, racism, and greed. We ring the gong seven times for this week of days in which these deeds have been done in our name. We ring our gong additionally once for the losses this week to COVID-19. This last week, 62,574 people died of COVID-19 globally. 6,751 of them in the United States alone. We hold in our hearts all of these losses Losses of life, of security, of connection. And we name with gratitude all who risk their lives to provide the essential services that we rely on and all who are working to get the vaccine produced and distributed and administered around the world. Finally, we ring our gong this morning in lament for the all too familiar shock and grief in the aftermath of gun violence. 
for the ten lives cut short in Boulder, and still for the eight lives taken too soon in Atlanta, for the virulence of white supremacy, hatred and violence, and for all of us whose bodies have tensed, whose hearts have grown heavier this past week as we've witnessed such wasting of life. May we keep those we have named and their loved ones in our thoughts and in our prayers. And may we ease the tide of human suffering this coming week, howsoever we can.
Have you ever been there? The bad things, they just keep on coming. They never seem to let up. My husband Bill and I have been there and in some ways we still are right now. It makes me think of a shadow passing overhead. Everything cowers instinctively feeling somehow that the shadow of death has passed. And the stories, well, they say that the sun comes out tomorrow. Isn't that what happens? Oh, I don't know. I've only just heard of a city called heaven. Imagine with me a little house in the woods. You are forever home on a creek that never runs dry full of ducks, and salamanders, and fox kits that play in the sun. They look like kittens. It is peaceful, and you are happy. Things change. A beloved neighbor dies. A surviving spouse has to sell. A buyer appears, and the sun is blotted out. You seen the movie, a shadow crosses the land, temperatures drop, happy valley turned into a wasteland as evil replaces good, suspicions arise, flowers wilt, the skies darkened, and there is sadness and tears throughout the land. And it should be only a movie, but it does happen in real life. How do you go on when Happy Valley turns into sorrow's gulch and shadow is thy neighbor? The old Negro spiritual wails, I am a poor pilgrim of sorrow. I'm tossed in this world alone. No hope have I for tomorrow. But I, I've heard of your city called heaven and I've started to make it my home. Well, I've heard and I've listened and I've learned that bad things happen to good neighbors, to good people, to good nations. And I've heard of a story of a people who have endured for millennia, 
I've heard of a people enslaved under the Egyptians, tortured by the Romans, segregated and persecuted in the Middle Ages, told to convert or be killed under the Inquisition, ghettoized in Europe, exiled to die in Russian pogroms, then in death camps. I've heard these horrors continue today cross burnings, slurs public and private, sacred spaces defiled, premeditated shootings. I've heard of a people who hold to perseverance and hope, to the retelling of a story of deliverance, kindling the belief that oppression must be met with truth-telling and that no one is free until we are all free. I remember that story when I think of Jesus, hailed today as a savior, only to be turned on and killed in seven short days. I hear all of the stories, and then I consider my neighbor. Who, who is my neighbor? It sure is easy to know when everyone agrees that Happy Valley is a happy place, but others arrive carrying scars so deep, wounds so profound that I cannot see them. And with acknowledgments to Diane Reeves when she writes and sings, sometimes you won't understand why life is the way it is. Things don't always go the way you plan them. But I believe truth and time are synonymous, and through time, all things are revealed. I hear the stories passed down through generations. They touch me today. Things don't always work out the way I planned them, and very bad things happen to very good people. And still there is grace amazing grace of friends, of family, of faith. This is a season where it can be a little bit easier to remember that there will be new life. That hope springs up again, even after a year or many, with so much threatening life even after seasons where it seemed that hope was buried, even after a tremble of tragedies, events that shock our system, that threaten the ties that bind us together, that threaten to break our hearts, that sometimes succeed. Even after too much lament, even then. This season with its clear skies and bright sun, with new life springing forth, with ancient stories that remind us that renewal, rebirth, liberation, that these things are more than just possible. 
that the world can be remade, and it has many times over. This season reminds us too that renewal is possible because of those times. Reminds us to pause, honoring the times when all seemed to be lost, honoring the struggle that made resilience possible. Holding this and whatever it is that rises up in you, enter with me now, however you'd like, into a time of shared silence. Spirit of love, dear universal intelligence, we give thanks this day for the steady beating of our hearts through it all, for the spirit of life ever adapting and regenerating, for the connections that ground and sustain us May we ground in these simple gifts in service of our unique flourishing and in service of liberation for all. May it be so. Amen. Before we take our offering, I want to let you know about last week's. Last week's offering, which was taken for the Chinatown Community Development Center for their work in particular helping at-risk seniors. That week, like this week, the Hinckley Fund will be matching three to one what we give, up to $4,000 each week. Last week, we raised $1,252.47, which means that the Hinckley Fund will contribute $3,700.57 no, $3,757.41 for a total of just over $5,000. That work will not only feed at-risk seniors, but those seniors are being fed by a program that uses local restaurants to produce the food so that our Chinatown community stays strong our unique, historic Chinatown community, such a center in the city, stays strong even as we keep our seniors safe.
So thank you for your generosity. This Sunday's worship offering will go to the Good Samaritan Family Resource Center, which some of you may remember we gave to early in the COVID pandemic when we found out that households that had many people living in them in order to save money on rent, who were often among the most vulnerable, whose jobs couldn't be done remotely, those households they were finding at the center were sometimes 14 in an apartment or a home only sharing one single meal a day. And so you generously gave to support their COVID relief, which continues and which in fact, because it is the end of this pandemic and families are often having their power and light and heat shut off as well as going hungry, is as acute as ever. So I invite you to give today to support all of those most at risk as we try to get safe and whole through the end of this chapter, I hope the end of this chapter of life together. Your gifts will be matched by the Hinckley Fund three to one. You can read a little bit more about our amazing and historic Hinckley Fund in your order of worship. Thank you in advance for your generosity. Our reading this morning isn't really a reading, but it is a reminder of the other holiday and holy day that is 
present in the universe in which we stand, the celebration of Holi, H-O-L-I. Today in India, where it's Sunday evening, people have already spent the day gathered in their inner courtyards or poured out into the streets, famously throwing colored powder on each other until people are a rainbow mess of color, laughter and delight filling the streets. Someday, I hope maybe we'll celebrate holy here in our own courtyard or in the streets if we can pay for the cleanup afterwards of the holy, holy mess. It is a spring rite and a spring cleaning of the soul in a way, celebrating the love between Radha and Krishna, which was legend. It's mostly a holiday that's fun, but underneath there is this theme of life. Life that can recommit to love, to forgive, to be joyful. An invitation to release the way you throw the powder into the world of what has held you back and center yourself back in joy. If you were to be wildly releasing something, what would it be? And what would you recommit to? What is it your heart is asking for you to seize with delight? Think about it for a moment. And what would be the first sign that you were doing so? The first act to claim it. Hold that thought.
have never heard a cello version of Dayenu. That was fantastic. I am totally sending that to all my friends and colleagues. That was great. Dayenu. It would have been enough. <laughs> well, as Meg pointed out last night, the celebration of Passover began with the singing of Dayenu, among other things. And today is Palm Sunday. We have our palms, the beginning of Holy Week. And today and tomorrow are the celebration of the Hindu festival of Holi, which is to say that we are in this mighty moment of confluence of three significant religious holidays and seasons. And I suppose none of this would be as significant if you gathered for your religious life in a cathedral or a synagogue or a Hindu temple or at your Hindu local community. But here, where we draw this much wider swath of people theologically and philosophically, and we invite everyone to bring their influences and backgrounds into our shared conversation and search for meaning, we find in these moments both the challenge and the delight of sitting with all of this in our arms and asking then what we see in this that is shared or resonant that we can hold and sit with this week ahead. Well, let's start with the first two. Let's start with Palm Sunday, if you'll allow me. Palm Sunday, I will admit, has always felt like a very complicated day to celebrate. Anyone who remembers the story, remembers this day honors what is called Jesus's triumphal entrance into Jerusalem, but it was always hard for me to think of it that way, triumphal. By now in the story of Jesus or the versions we have, we know what awaits him and a we are told that he does too, at least the gist of it. Yet still, he journeys into Jerusalem, called to speak the truth to power. No matter the risk, he heads into the heart of power where he is a marked man, but refusing to run and hide. And the people meet him as he enters, they throw palm fronds down in front of him like the way we do flowers at the feet of a bride or a carpet laid under a king's feet. Passover also marks a triumphal moment, the protection by God of the Israelites that begins in some ways with the angel of death passing over the houses that are marked with the blood of the Paschal lamb, all of which sets the stage for Pharaoh agreeing to set the Israelites free. And so the journey, matzah hastily made that unleavened bread, cooked in the sun, the fateful crossing of the sea of reeds from liberation from slavery. After the crossing, Pharaoh and his soldiers left behind. Miriam, we are told, and Moses sing a song, and there is dancing on the other side to this new beginning. Both stories are about the beginning of this next historic chapter 
either the journey of Jesus and the history of Christianity or of the Jewish people and their life as a nation, the building of a temple, all that will follow. In both of these moments, Jesus and the Israelites, they know that fuller life, a deeper expression of their faith, requires this next chapter. And for both, the journey didn't begin on this day, of course. There is this concept in psychology that I think of frequently since I learned of it. I think of it because it has so many applications in our own lives and warnings too, once you know of it. Most simply described, it's called the human proclivity for commitment and consistency. I'm pretty sure I read about it first in Dan Ariely's book, Predictably Irrational, the book whose subtitle is The Hidden Forces That Shape Our Decisions. For those who don't know, commitment and consistency is this pattern that psychologists have found in human behavior that says that we have this innate desire to be consistent in what we show allegiance to in our lives or have given even nominal assent to. And that force will draw us naturally to do and to agree to more and more even if it isn't in our best interest or in keeping with our ultimate priorities sometimes to do so, just so we don't break that pattern. The study that sticks with me around this one, and I have to say I couldn't find the book because in my Marie Kondo moment I gave it away, but now I'm obviously going to have to buy it back again, which she says is allowed, but first you have to give it away and see if you need it. Anyway, what I remember of this study was a person was sent to the door of a household and knocked on the door and asked the homeowner who answered if they would put a very small sign in their window showing their support for an issue that the homeowners weren't really committed to. It was something that no one could really be excited about, but it was vaguely acceptable, as I recall. And once folks did that, Every week, that same person would come back and ask the homeowners to put a bigger and bigger sign in their window, culminating with them asking people to put a very large and intentionally ugly sign in their front lawns. And an enormous percentage of people did all that. Having committed, in other words, to something that they didn't really care much about, they continued until their lawn was literally an advertisement for something that they weren't particularly excited about. Such was our desire for commitment and consistency in those commitments. It's why, one theory, it's why organized crime often asks, not because they know of these studies, but because they know and have learned the pattern of the human heart, ask people to do one somewhat innocuous thing. Let them know if police are coming down the street, deliver a letter to somebody, and then up the ante on the person's involvement until their criminal behavior has them doing something that they never would have dreamed they would do or have agreed to. However, let me be clear that this pattern in us 
It is also why we will do enormously persistent, enduring, courageous things for the causes and the people and the places that we love. And the moral of this proclivity then for us is to choose our commitments carefully. Because? Because we should go deep and long on the things we love, right? Of course. Because that's what changes the world. That's what embeds our faith commitments, our values into things like laws and institutions and cultures, cultures that reinforce things like equity and compassion because we committed endure until things change and reflect what we love and are committed to. We should, in other words, put huge and maybe ugly signs in our front yards advertising and drawing attention to the things we think are important. Commitment and consistency, this pattern though, it's a scientific reminder and proof of the power and importance of those first choices. I talk about this because I think about it with the Jewish people in the story of Exodus and Jesus in the Palm Sunday story. These lives, they chose long ago, didn't they? A life that refused to give up on selfhood, for instance, for the Israelites when they were slaves in Egypt and their right to full human dignity. Or in Jesus' case, in the commitment to speak that truth to power, to stand for love, to break the rules that would get in the way of either of those things. And then they just stayed loyal to those commitments. And that life, it's already been demanding of both of them. Jesus has left family behind and taken to the byways and villages, preaching and healing in a life that is peripatetic and exhausting and challenging. For each Jew under Pharaoh, like each person who was born a slave in our own nation or brought here as a slave, to be true to your own humanity, to have faith in your own full human dignity to survive the abuses of body and spirit must have also taken a constant recommitment, right? A prayer and the risky business of recommitting again and again to hope. It's the same for all of us when we begin, when we commit and then journey Even with the driving force of commitment and consistency like a hand at our backs, we all have those key moments when we are asked to, having already committed, to recommit to the road ahead. And these moments, well, they often present themselves at the challenging junctures, right? Think about it. When there's hurt in the relationship, that you committed long ago to, when there is disappointment in our nation, when there is exhaustion in our struggle against injustice and evil. 
Jesus is shown in the story what's going to happen when he enters Jerusalem. The way King, it reminds me, the way King in his diaries seems to know what is likely to be his fate. And Jesus prays that the cup be allowed to pass from him because who wouldn't pray that, right? He's tired. I'm imagining he loves life. Why wouldn't you? And it will be rough ahead, horrible, actually. I think this week of the people in Myanmar going into the streets to protest. I mean, this isn't an ancient story, right? It's current, eternal. They all know the warnings. They knew them. They have seen this last month, as all of us have, as we paid witness to in worship last week, what their military is capable of. They know what heading into those streets might mean. I'm sure that they all hoped, too, that maybe that day history would write itself and moved into the streets with that yes to that hope under their breath against the powers that spoke their no with bullets and death. Jesus had a choice to make like those protesters did and do each day they re-enter those streets and others will in the chapters of history to come, the cup won't pass. But they could, we could. And the Jews, they might not know exactly what awaits them, those 40 years in the desert. Who could imagine it? A diet of manna, losing people as you go, as you must. But for them, too, you can imagine when the singing is done and the laughter and the dancing has died down, that first morning breaking on whatever day they have set to begin the next chapter, looking out into that vast desert. No map to the promised land in hand, only the dream of it, the commitment to it. And how you might just want to pitch a tent by the sea and spend your life there. Let the rest go. But they chose to recommit. Journey forward. It invites me to reflect on my own life and invite you to think about yours, too. Those of us who read Kathy Park Hong's book, Minor Feelings, which won a big award this week, we read it together and we read aloud a passage where she talks about a friendship with two other women, Asian women, who are all artists and students at Oberlin with her and how together their lives as artists felt inevitable. That's the word she uses, inevitable. And how the power of that sense that they found and that they nurtured in each other carried them through all the erasure that they would meet, all the invisibility they would have to push through in the world to be recognized in their fields for the artists they are in the decades to follow. But there were moments of choice in that journey. It's those I feel called to underline this morning. 
Have you ever felt like something was inevitable? A feeling that even though you knew cognitively, well, that nothing is inevitable, you still chose to take the first move toward? Or have you ever wanted something, and even though you weren't sure you could find it or would be worthy of it or could make it happen, you stepped toward that desire? And being careful not to use the word first step, even though that's my title, but I think we could use that word too if we just looked at it metaphorically. Because sometimes these are literal first steps or the rolling of our wheels, of our wheelchair forward through that first increment of space toward a destination we want to get to. But other times it's a movement of heart, spirit, and mind. But we know those moments. I know a couple, for instance, who are welcoming a baby in May. And that journey, that journey started when each registered for some online dating platform. What was the first act of commitment for you? Was it I don't know, was it when you signed up to finish your GED? Or filled out that first job application that would give you independence? Was it, was it when you went to the pound just to look at dogs, just to look at them, unsure of whether you could actually care for another creature or life, and you walked out with the sweetest companion you could ever have imagined? Perhaps it was when you strapped on your athletic shoes and you went to high school tryouts and you found your bliss, or when you demanded for the first time a congressperson listen to you as you stood for the first time ever in the halls of power demanding change. Or was it more monumental than even those moments? Was it the fearful moment you stepped away from a career or did whatever you needed to to come out to who you felt you were, to some truer version of yourself. Times when you felt like you risked everything. What was a moment for you when you moved through a threshold toward what would become you, a fuller you? We have so many of these moments. But there are always a few really crucial ones, I think. And when we make those first moves in all of them, the truth is we have no idea what we are getting into, right? Where those journeys will take us. But once they are begun, I think eventually we get to somewhere that in the end apparently we were meant to. And like the hero's journey, too, we will arrive at the end of all of it changed. That will be the journey of the Israelites, forged in this long wandering into a nation tough and cohered. And that will be the journey of Jesus taken from this world, as he will be in the stories this week we retell, but whose whose life commitments would impact the world maybe more than even he imagined in his earthly life. And our stories too, they will often surprise us when we look back 
on the monte to where they all began? There's a saying in Farsi, I think I've told all of you about it once before. It's one that my friend Naila, who comes from Afghanistan, reminds me when we're talking about some hard decision or some direction that feels intimidating to begin. She always tells me the saying in Farsi first and then translate it, even though now I know what she's saying when she says it the first time. One step, I bless you. Remember that, Vanessa? One step, I bless you. And then the next, and then the next. Your responsibility is just to make the first move. The blessings will come. Oof. So my friends, what's the place you would like to seize with delight this season of holy? Or where is the place you are being asked to recommit and double down what you already said you loved and believed in? Perhaps a new chapter of your life or our life is about to be written. Pick one small movement, just one, that speaks of your aspirations and hopes. And we are told by science that forces unseen and by ancient stories that forces unseen of all kinds will move with us. Begin, my friends, and be blessed. Amen. and our goings. May the light of love shine upon us. Out from within us be gracious unto us and grant us peace. For this is the day we are given. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Amen.
The work of this church in the world is realized through the generous financial support of all who call this place home. Along with the gifts and time and talent, ours is a shared ministry. You have a role to play here. Church membership is open to all. For more information, go to uusf.org 